Welcome to Keystone Education Radio, the podcast for all things focused on education in Pennsylvania. Now here's your host, Annette Stevenson. In very recent years, equity has become a topic much discussed, relevant to the educational space. It's more of an overarching title under which many layers of subtopics exist. Within the spaces of schools and communities, Across the Commonwealth, there are diverse needs and challenges that inform the dialogue around equity and education. Here to be part of what will be a multi-part series and to help us understand how equity as an initiative and a practice can be brought into a school district is Ken Nixon, Coordinator of Educational Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion with the Erie School District. Welcome, Ken. Good morning. Thank you. And also with us today is Dr. Heather Bennett, Director of Equity Services for the Pennsylvania School Boards Association. Welcome, Dr. Bennett. Hello. It's great to be here. So I'd like to understand, obviously, a lot about how the Erie School District brought equity into the space in such a degree that there's been a position created around it, and then also talk specifically about Erie as a community and how this has all rolled out. So first, I think just to gain a little bit of perspective, Ken, could you tell us a bit about Erie? So describe the city of Erie and also the school district. Okay. Erie, Pennsylvania is, um, if you know where Lake Erie is at, one of the five Great Lakes, um, you kind of pretty much can almost pinpoint us right at the tip of the lake there. So I would say we're a smaller city uh, with maybe some big city appeal or big city feel, you could say. Um, And why I say that is because we definitely are a city that is diverse. You know, we have multiple different races and ethnicities as well as, uh, you know, we're recognized from the federal government as one of the hubs as far as uh, refugee and our second language families. So I think with that, that's a definite benefit because it brings that richness and that organic um, different ethnicity barriers and backgrounds to our city. So as the other part, as far as the school district, we have almost around 11,000 students. Uh, We have 16 schools. So we have like 10 elementary schools, three middles, two high schools, and then we have a transitional building that was newly created to help support students that are either at risk or are definitely high needs. Um, We do have uh, almost 1,200 employees, you know, roughly about 840 teachers and and then administrators and then, you know, bus drivers, and it just goes on and on from there. Okay. Um, So that's our pretty generic uh, breakdown, I would say, of the city and and the district. Absolutely. So serving 11,000 students, I believe you said, and 16 schools, there was the decision made to introduce your role. Can you tell us a little bit about the catalyst for that? The main catalyst behind my position um, would definitely be the changeover that we had in our superintendent right now, who's Brian Polito. Mr. Polito was our chief financial officer two years ago, and he was underneath our former superintendent, Jay Baddams. And as Dr. Baddams uh, moved on, uh, Mr. Polito came in. And I know Mr. Polito has, has definitely has a heart and a passion for uh, diversity and for equity as well. So I really feel like a, the main catalyst, I would say, would be him. Okay. Um, you know, that was his, his initiative, his agenda, and his perspective. And he opened up this new position, which is something that Erie has never had. You know, Erie School District has never had a person that is in charge of diversity, equity, and inclusion. I would say that's where the catalyst would stem from would be that, you know, his leadership and what he was bringing 
forth as far as under his new leadership style. And I think a lot of people felt more confident, more comfortable as far as seeing that the district is willing to put, you know, someone like myself who's uh, biracial, but, you know, my skin color is brown. So, you know, when you see uh, myself, a lot of people just, you know, right away just think, oh, that's a black man. So, uh, but I think him taking that step to put someone like me, someone of color, into this type of a district uh, leadership position definitely spoke volumes. Okay. And how long have you been in that position? So this is like a you know a year and uh, we'll be on a year and seven months. So, um, okay. Yeah, so roughly a year, a little bit more over a year and a half. I've been in this position. Okay. And describe what the function of that role is. Describe some of the responsibilities and kind of what uh, a day in the life looks like for you. Okay. Um, I would say it's definitely morphed when we first originally started off. You know, Mr. Pleo kind of came in and he said this, uh, you know, go right to the the PD, the Pennsylvania Department of Education's website. They have this equity and inclusion toolkit. And so I definitely went on that and looked through it and um, utilized that to help with some some of the steps that I was taking to kind of see what the state was looking for and then kind of what we needed as a district. And I I feel like, you know, since I was homegrown, you know, born and raised out of Erie, and I, I definitely have... And then working in the district, I had this the true pulse of kind of where to go in terms of what we need at with equity. So stemming from the equity inclusion toolkit, I, I definitely gave me some sense of direction. And then um, what I did was created what's called an equity and inclusion committee. And I really feel like that's a great group of people to um, bounce ideas off and to kind of get a true sense and making sure that the makeup of that committee was diverse in itself. And, okay. um, that makes sense. And I think that, that definitely helped me frame out where I was going to go in terms of my work. So basically taking those steps to getting us to where we're at now, this year I've been more focused on probably looking at more of um, the teacher diversity aspect and really doing a lot of legwork with that, with making connections with our local universities. Okay. Um, some other aspects of, you could say like a behavior, I guess behavior modification program or behavior programming liaison. I also have the Title IX support as well. So, I mean, so the day could definitely vary. The majority of it is in terms of focused on like behavior, but then okay. it's it's also very important to, to structure out and focus on the equity and the inclusion side of it as well. I see. Um, it sounds like your day is not, you know, one day may not be the same as the next. Definitely different aspects to, you know, the work. Basically, I look at myself as being a connection for the community and the city and the, and the district in terms of, like, diversity, equity, inclusion. So, And it's just you in this area, correct? For the district, it's just the one role? Yes. Okay, so you carry a large a large workload. It sounds like a, l- a large set of responsibilities. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Yes, but I mean, I'm, I would say I'm not unlike no others. I mean, there's other people that are in district leadership and that that wear multiple different hats and are, are involved in many different aspects. Which I, I didn't even mention the strategic plan. Real quick, I would say the the game changing target for that goal for this year was a fifty percent reduction in uh, behavior events for Black and African American students. So I think you can kind of just hearing that that is a game changing target. That's massive. And right. So yeah, I guess it's kind of difficult to pin it down to exactly you know, what I'm doing in a day does change based on, you know, what I need to be involved in and and help support. It sounds like some of that, too, is just because the role is new. It didn't exist as a role before you came on board. So you're helping to shape and define it, I would think. 
Yeah, I mean, absolutely. When Mr. Plato did give me the equity inclusion toolkit, that was also something that him and uh, Mrs. Zaberski, our assistant superintendent, said, like, you know, this position is brand new. And, you know, they, they definitely had the, you know, the, the trust and confidence in me that I was pretty much going to sh- shape it. You know, they said, take it and, you know, start to develop it. But they gave me some frameworks to work out of. But, yeah, I've pretty much been given that responsibility to put it together as it best fits and as it shapes and molds as we go on from day to day. Okay. So. We're going to dive a little bit deeper into some of the sort of more in the weeds topics, but I want to start mm-hmm. by asking both you and Heather the same question, because I believe it's a different perspective. Heather, you come at the topic from the overarching perspective of supporting all of the school districts in the state. And then, of course, Ken, you come at it from the in one single district, that perspective. So I'm going to ask you the same question just to kind of get the broad picture of this. So, Heather, how would you define equity? I would define equity as the just and fair distribution of resources based upon each individual student's needs. Um, The great thing about um, my role is that in 2018, we passed a statement on equity as an organization at PSBA. Our governing board passed this statement. And what it really is, it's saying that our kids are different, that they've had different experiences, and they require different resources. And equitable resources include funding, programs, policies, initiatives, and supports that target each student's unique background and school context to guarantee that all students have equal access to a high-quality education. The reason why this is so important is that for a long time, we've been governing this educational experience like through this lens of equality which is really just all kids are getting the same things. And if we do that, then we're, then we're doing the right thing. But what we know is that um, because our kids are different and that they're carrying the weight of inequitable experiences, and when we have 500 school districts, not everyone has the same access to resources. We're dealing with histories of and impacts of poverty and, and racism and sexism and trauma and other forms of prejudices and barriers that our students are facing that we really need to acknowledge and understand as school leaders in order for us to provide the necessary resources to make sure that all kids are getting the same opportunities to learn. So okay. that's how I define equity. And so, Ken, I'm going to ask you the same question. Define equity as you would define it where you exist in your role. Yeah, I would say just from what I'm doing and an educational perspective, I look at equity as providing what's necessary. So getting those necessary resources or supports to the individual students, maybe even the teachers or, you know, to the organizations and entities that need it that's necessary. But I do totally agree. I think uh, with Heather, what Heather said in terms of equality, I think a lot of our in our justice system, a lot of things are based on that equality kind of standard. What's good for one is good for everyone. And mm-hmm. I think that we okay. have definitely seen that that does not work in education. So sure. um, specifically, I don't know if it works in other organizations or sectors, but for sure, I would say that when you define equity, it's it's getting the adequate and necessary uh, resources and programming and to support individuals, to students, to organizations. That's That's the way I look at equity. Okay. And this question is maybe for both of you. What is the school-to-prison pipeline? Can you tell me about that? School-to-prison pipeline, from my perspective, is definitely what school, you know, schools policies or schools disciplinary actions or schools um, truancy or attendance protocols. It, to me, school-to-prison pipeline is what are we doing to our students that over a period of time 
kind of just prepares them or shifts them or almost forces them into a mindset or a way of doing school that is almost pushing them more towards getting prepared for the juvenile system or even the prison system. So that's when I see school to prison, that's that's what I see. Okay. And Heather? Yeah. Um, I mean, he touched on it, but, you know, zero tolerance policies um, we know seeped into our educational system, which pretty much created and codified in student codes this very formalized punishments such as out-of-school suspensions, expulsions, alternative education placements, and incarceration, and as well as increase the amount of security measures in schools. And so what we've seen and what we know is that excessive use of school suspension, expulsion, or placement in alternative ed programs has led students more likely into the adult prison system. And this is why we get to the school-to-prison pipeline. School-to-prison pipeline is this, this connection, this migration from the school space where they're supposed to be learning and getting an education and something's going on within that school environment that is leading them more to um, and being incarcerated. And so what we know is that zero tolerance policies have decreased student sense of belonging in school. They have Students who are overly placed into suspensions have poor academic achievement, the rate of dropout is high, and then they're more likely to be accessing riskier legal behavior. And so what we're saying, punitive discipline policies detrimentally harm the educational and social development of students. And we are one of the world's leader in per capita incarceration. Mm, um, so the question really comes into this this point of, as educators, what are we doing in the classrooms? I'm not saying it's all our fault. I'm mm-hmm. just saying that there is something happening that we need to really deal with, the connections between the systems, between our school system, between um, the criminal justice system, and just in general about how we are really making sure our kids are going to be successful. I think one thing we did not talk about was like who the school-to-prison pipeline disproportionately impacts boys, uh, boys of color, and special education students. And I really, I think, to help shape out and frame out like what this actually looks like in this state um, from a statewide perspective is this. And think about it from a 2015-16 school year, black students represented 15% of the Pennsylvania student population, yet they are overwhelmingly represented along the school-to-prison pipeline just for an example, in terms of thinking about out-of-school suspensions, again, African-Americans represent 15%, yet they represent about 50% of those who've had multiple out-of-school suspensions. They are 34% of those who've been expelled. Um, They are 41% of those that are in alternative education, and they are 39% of those that are referred to law enforcement. And that's for the 2015-16 numbers. But I think what's something that we really need to, to, to look at is also our special education students. Students under IDEA are consequentially affected by discipline referrals as well. They represent about 16%. This is, again, 2015-16 school year data from the Office of Civil Rights Data Collection. And they represent about 65% of those who've had multiple out-of-school suspensions. Mm-hmm. So when we're seeing the school-to-prison pipeline, we are also talking about the impact and who is actually being impacted by um, these discipline referrals. And we're really getting at the heart of why. Why are these children more likely to be getting discipline referrals over other children? And so it's really getting at the fact that we know that there's a disconnect happening between the students and also um, the teachers. We know that for the most part, these percentages should indicate that there's something 
really crazy happening in our schools when we think about it. So how do we really think about practices that are going to really make sure that children, whoever they are, are going to be supported and giving the right supports to be successful in schools? And so I just wanted to make sure to put that out there. And one thing is that we know that research shows that students of color are more likely to be suspended for subjective reasons, based on perceived, Mm. rather than actual objective threats to the system. And research has shown that over and over and over again. And so, again, coming back to this whole point of restoring relationships is so important and realizing that um, we really need to think about how our teachers are perceiving our kids and how students are perceiving um, their teachers and community. And and so it comes a long way in coming up with really great policies and practices that are going to really cut down on the amount of disciplinary referrals that are really impacting majority special education students as well as black and Latino boys. I really wanted to to put that in the all good information, but I guess that brings me to the question, what steps and practices are being put into place to deal with this issue? And maybe, Ken, that's for you to answer at you know your district's level, what type of practices or steps are being implemented that helps to counteract that school-to-prison pipeline effect? Absolutely. Um, I would say that, and I had mentioned it was the strategic plan that we're working on, and that, that, that's a big part of, of everything for us in terms of our own district, per se. That strategic plan covers, you know, like I said, I mentioned those five goals. So um, when you think about that, one, one goal is about early years and developing a strong foundation in, like, the pre-K to probably third grade more, like really, truly uh, enriching programming and inter- intervention practices and building that collaboration and responsibility and confidence. The other goal is engaged, self-disciplined, critical thinkers, so really getting kids to be tied in to know that it's okay to get in-depth with with knowledge and that it's okay to build peer-to-staff relationships um, and also that tie into real-world and civic engagement projects. And and the other one is uh, mastery of academic subjects and the arts, so we know the importance of bolstering our our academics is huge. Um, So I would say some of the things we've done, like, uh, you know, we haven't had a refresh curriculum, uh, ELA curriculum, in years here, and so we're we're really excited that uh, pre-K to fifth grade is actually uh, just adopted the CKLA, uh, which is an English language arts program, and then we're also looking to adopt a, a new math curriculum as well. So those are huge. Those are huge in terms of making steps for equity and okay. really tying kids in and getting engaging work that's going to want to, to build that efficacy and that um, drive to want them to, to be in school um, mm-hmm. and also support our teachers to give them necessary um, you know curriculum and structures so that they are reaching kids, all kids, not just the ones at the bottom or the ones at the top, but mm-hmm. but all the way across, which is definitely the, the importance of equity. Um, and then I talked about my goal, my goal that I lead, or I should say the goal that I lead, not mine particularly, but um, equity, fairness, and justice for all learners. And with that, we're, look, we're focusing on the disproportionality in suspension expulsion rates, which goes right to the school to prison pipeline conversation that we started. And then focusing on the traditionally underperforming student groups. And then really emphasis on preparing and, and getting timely access to rigorous courses, programs, interventions for those underperforming students. And then I would say the fifth goal is the, um, really focusing on graduation and gradu- the graduates are prepared for a purposeful life. So, um, and that's when I mentioned uh, we created the uh, transitional school, also known as the Patrick DePaulo 
Student Student Success Center. That was one big reason. We have a gentleman by the name of Neil Brockman. He's worked at a high school in the district for years, and he kept seeing, you know, you're struggling with this issue with kids that are constantly failing, kids that are constantly, you know, not coming to school, kids that are constantly not um, keeping themselves on track. And he noticed that if they don't have this, if they don't have a certain amount of credits by this grade level, it was almost it was a predictor that those kids were going to drop out of school. He kind of had this vision, and when we put that program together, and that program's been huge. I know last year we graduated, I think, almost 100 kids. But if you think about it, those are 100 kids that would have never finished high school. Wow. I mean, that's, okay. that's big. That's yeah, big. it is so big. I, when, you, when you ask me that question, I just wanted to kind of reiterate the strategic plan is really a big driver for that. And it's not just in the terms of my specific area, which I really stand on in terms of discipline and behavior. But mm-hmm. I, just, I just wanted you to see the holistic perspective mm-hmm. of through the goal work that we're doing and what will be accomplished. We did a, what's called examining our bias. It was The focus was not just on implicit, but we talked about implicit, unconscious, and racial bias okay. as an entire district. And so that that's something that, again, has never been done before. Okay. Wow. So, Ken, you have already touched on some of this, but is there anything that stands out as sort of a positive response or, you know, a high accomplishment in, in your time there so far? I would say we're, we're definitely very thankful for the fact that we did hire um, seven um, teachers of color this past year, which is which is big, you know, not just knowing, you know, nationwide, the, there's an absence of people going into education, and then even more so in terms of students of color, sure. um, the numbers just continue to dwindle down more. So it's made a major impact. So I, I would say that, that that would probably be one of the uh, main accomplishments. I would say that's one of them yeah. that really stands out. Okay. Thank you, Ken, for joining us today. Thank you, Dr. Bennett. Thank you both for all that you've shared with us. You're welcome. Thank you. Not a problem at all. Very, very thankful for the opportunity. This podcast is produced by the Pennsylvania School Boards Association, and today's episode was brought to you in part by Keystone Purchasing Network. This concludes part one of a two-part discussion. Listeners, I encourage you to find out more about this episode and others at keyedradio.org. Be sure to check out part two of the continued discussion with Ken Nixon and Dr. Heather Bennett. This is Annette Stevenson saying thanks for listening to Keystone Education Radio. The views and opinions expressed on the Keystone Education Radio podcast are solely the views and opinions of our guests and do not reflect the views and opinions of the Pennsylvania School Boards Association. Thank you.